My guest today, Joanna Robinson, knows more about Game of Thrones than most people on the planet. Every week on Vanity Fair, Joanna dissects each episode of Game of Thrones and explains the theories about what has happened and what will happen in coming episodes. My favorite part of what she does is the way she sees and points out all the little clues that you and I probably don't even notice. She's going to spend the next hour talking to us on Inside the Hive about what the rest of the season might look like, who is going to live, who is going to die, and how she thinks Game of Thrones will ultimately end. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us on on the Inside the Hive podcast. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Nick. Um, of course. So let's just jump right in. What did you think of last week's episode of Game of Thrones? Well, so I actually really, really liked it a lot. And but you know, something a caveat that I'm giving to a lot of people about my enjoyment of this particular episode is that I went to the LA premiere. So that was the first time that I had ever seen Game of Thrones on the big screen. And in a room, of course, with hundreds of people who were massively excited to be there. So you know, my my reaction might be flavored a little bit by the excitement of of that experience. But um, overall, I just I really loved a lot of this episode. What what did you think, Nick? Um, I thought it was fantastic. I, um, I I was, you know, looking for clues. I'm obviously not as good of a clue looker as you are. Um, uh, but I thought it was great. And I was on the edge of my seat and um, terrified for everyone, especially my favorite characters, Jon Snow and, uh, and Daenerys. And, um, and I just wanted, I just wanted Cersei to die right there. So I didn't have to deal with her for another a uh, few weeks, but of course that's not going to happen. Um, but I thought it was great. Um, uh, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I can't wait till next week. So, so let's jump in and talk about some. Uh, of course, anyone listening, if you haven't seen the show, this is going to be a giant spoiler alert. So, uh, so go go elsewhere and come back later. Um, but let's jump in and talk about some of the clues of things that we saw on the show that you found fascinating that could point to what's going to happen throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, clue hunting Game of Thrones is one of my favorite things to do. So thank you so much for giving me a platform to talk about it. Uh, before you, be, how, how do you actually do it? Do you are, are you just like paying attention? Do you watch the show and then watch it and backwards and and on rewind? Like, well, how do you find these clues? Because it, it seems like it's hard to actually pay attention to the show and the storyline and the clues. Is it? How do you do it? Um, I I end up watching each episode multiple times. Um, so that's, that's helpful. Um, you know, it's helpful. It's a luxury that it's part of my job that I, you know, have to watch Game of Thrones four or five times any given week. Um, you know, and part of it is, of course, crowdsourced. There's a huge community that probably watches each episode more times than I do. And so, you know, whether on Reddit or Twitter or, you know, I host a couple podcasts about Game of Thrones, so listeners are forever sending me emails. So, you know, they're they're able to underscore and highlight certain little clues that I might have missed. So I try not to lose sort of like sight of the thematic forest for the clue trees, I guess. But, um, you know, I think I think one can kind of inform the other. You know, I think there's, there's a way to talk about these kind of shows that really is just about the did you notice this little Easter egg, which, you know, is, is fine, but maybe, you know, is is kind of shallow. And I and I think what we try to do at VF, you know, sometimes we we fail is to do both to talk about thematics and then um, also these sort of uh, clues that are pointing us to where the show might be going. 
Um, okay, so so before we before we get to some of the clues, actually, uh, in this week's episode, there's one thing that I still don't actually understand, and this will show my novice noviceness of of, of Game of Thrones and George R. R. Martin's word. Can you explain what R plus L equals J is? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the last season at the end of the year, you know, well, well, here, let me ask you this. Like, what do you think we learned about Jon Snow's parentage at the end of last season of Game of Thrones? Um, it's not what we thought it was. Um, uh, I think that we we learned that um, uh, that, that John – see, this is the part where I get confused. Is John related to Daenerys or do they have the same – father or mother it's like the part that's where i'm like i don't understand what's actually going on yeah and i i've watched these videos online and so on and um so i figure i would just ask for your help absolutely in in an explanation yeah you know and and book readers have had decades to pour over this and all the clues but you know sort of what this show i think was trying to communicate last season was that Jon Snow's real mother is Ned Stark's sister, Lyanna Stark, that she was in that tower where we see young Ned Stark go like go up and then his sister's there and she's dying and she has this baby and she says, promise me, Ned. And so I think what we're meant to extrapolate from that is that Ned brought up Jon Snow as if he were his own bastard when in fact he was the daughter of his sister, Lyanna. So Lyanna is the L and Jon Snow is the J and R plus L equals J and the... Though the show hasn't confirmed it yet, the most popular theory is that the R stands for Rhaegar Targaryen, who was, you know, the one who sort of kidnapped Lyanna, you know, according to legend and started, you know, the the war that landed Robert Baratheon on the throne. And so R plus L equals J. It's funny because R plus L equals J. It was a book reader theory, but that's how... Dan Weiss and David Benioff got the job of adapting Game of Thrones. George R. R. Martin, like people for years had come to George R. R. Martin saying they wanted to adapt his books. They wanted to turn it into a movie. They thought there were too many side characters. So maybe it's just a movie about Daenerys and Jon Snow. You know, and Martin really felt like no one got his books at all. And then, you know, there's this famous lunch that Weiss and Benioff had with George R. R. Martin where he asked them almost as like a test, what does R plus L equals J mean? And they were able to tell him and that, you know, he, they passed the nerd test. And so he's like, okay, you, you're you deep in the fandom of my books. You, you can shepherd this along. Um, so huh. if Rhaegar is the R so, plus L equals yeah. J, that yeah. means that John is Daenerys's nephew because Rhaegar was her brother. So... John is Daenerys's nephew. So does that mean that they can't fall in love um, and live on the Iron Throne together and live happily ever after? Or given that it is Game of Thrones and people are always having sex with their brothers and sisters, they could? I know. Incest is all the rage in Westeros. Uh, the Targaryens, actually, I mean, before the Lannister siblings <laughs> were, were doing the incest thing on the sly, um, the Targaryens were sort of out and proud about their incest um like historically in george r martin's books the targaryens kings and queens were sisters and brothers all the time so you know that's how they kept Mm. their like silver hair purple eye line pure i guess so if Jon snow and daenerys uh you know were to fall in love and and all that comes with that 
you know, I don't know if they've got these like modern woke Westeros sensibilities that are like, ooh, this is bad, or if they will embrace history and say, you know, it's it's fine. What's 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 one relationship between an aunt and a nephew? This is fine. This is all fine. So uh, you know, or or that will cause tension because you know, Jon Snow doesn't know who his parents are, you know, and Daenerys certainly doesn't. And so, mm. what if they fall in love first and then they find out later that they're related? So. It'll be interesting mm. to find out. But that's, yeah. Sala- salacious. <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones, always salacious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, did you have any big... Okay, so... Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's go through some of the characters. Um, uh, so I, I felt like this week um, uh, Arya Stark, Stark was, was kind of a game changer. The fact that she could go from being um, uh, a little Arya Stark to... Uh, to kind of any any person that she wants to be shape and size um does this mean that she you know she can fool anyone and do anything uh um with her new superpower that she got from the house of black and white uh yeah i mean she has to kill you know one of the things we need to remember one of the remarkable things I saw spring up last season was all the crazy fan theories that came up around Arya Stark because of this notion of anyone, this idea that anyone could be anyone else at any given time. And so all the stuff that was happening in Bravos last season with Arya didn't, a lot of it didn't seem to make sense. You know, she got, she got stabbed multiple times in the stomach and then she was fine and it was a little weird. So I think people are scrambling to try to make sense of it. And then all of a sudden you get all these theories about, well, Arya isn't really Arya and Jack and Hagar isn't really Jack and Hagar and all this sort of stuff. The thing to remember most importantly about this superpower that Arya has now is that the the per- the only the major rule is that the person has to be dead before she can wear their face. So, you know, if you see Sansa Stark walking around, you're like, what if it's actually Arya Stark? Well, that would mean she'd have to have killed Sansa and put her face on. So that's the like one thing that we mm. would like want to remember that if Arya is going to disguise herself, she's going to have to murder someone first before she wears their face. That being said, something I'm very interested about based on this episode is, you know, should Arya murder anyone this season, that doesn't mean that actor can't come back. You know, a common theory is that she will murder. I mean, she she plans to murder Cersei. Some people think she's going to murder Littlefinger. But like, if either of those characters die, that doesn't mean that like Lena Headey or Aidan Gillen, who play those two characters, can't come back if David Bradley, who played Walter Frey, was able to come back this season, you know, so that's kind of a fun idea is that we could see old, you know, characters that maybe we don't like. I mean, you sound like you want Cersei to be do dead you, and gone and never come back. But um, do you know? Well, that was my next question. Do you think that do you think that she'll end up killing Cersei? I think I honestly think I hear you that you're like Cersei's evil and she's not even sad anymore about her children dying or she's in deep uh, denial about it. But I think Game of Thrones wouldn't be Game of Thrones without Cersei. The same way that when Joffrey died back in season four, I wound up really missing him because I felt like the show really needed... You did? Yeah, not that I like his character, but I feel like the wow. show needed that evil to push back against, you know? And so without... Yeah, without, well, yeah, I, I get it. Without yeah. Cersei as like a human source of evil, then it's just this like elemental evil of the Night King. You know, and and that is a little less interesting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. This sort of like um, 
humanity less you know ice zombie force of evil versus cersei who you know there are occasional times where we've had sympathy for her on the show like her walk of shame or you know, there are times when cersei has been sympathetic so it makes her villainy more interesting and complicated than than other options on the show but yeah so uh, so aria you know i i never want to count aria out if she puts her mind to something you know she's probably gonna do it at this yes, point but true. i think i would miss cersei if she were to die this season okay so moving on to another stark um uh bran um and his his tree i feel like the show um and again i haven't read the books um and so maybe you have more insight as a result of that but i feel like the show has kind of he's the least focused on an almost least important character yet he has the most power of all the characters why, why is that like why is it that we don't spend a lot of time with him um and yet it seems like his role in the story is kind of tantamount um, I think brand stuff is, you know, honestly, in the books, brand stuff was never exactly my favorite, but I think it's even harder to translate onto the screen. I think early on, Weiss and Benioff said they didn't, you know, for the first four seasons, they didn't do any flashback. And then um, they started in season five with this Cersei flashback where you see young Cersei, you know, learn this prophecy. But I think they said they didn't want to, in their original, I don't know if you know the story of their original pilot, but they did this original pilot. They screened it for some friends. Their friends said it was complete gibberish and they didn't understand everything. And basically Weiss and Benioff scrapped almost all of the original pilot and reshot it. So... um, Huh. And and that that original I did not know that. Yeah, so that original they they've been very um very open about how terrible they think their original pilot was. But the um the flashbacks were in that original pilot and something that they an element that they decided to lose because I think they decided it was actually more confusing um than not. So I think they've been hesitant to dwell in the realm of like vision and dreams and flashback, which is a lot of what brands stuff is. So I think that's why he's been marginalized, especially why he was gone for an entire season on the show. Um, but that being said, you know, now that he knows, apparently knows everything, which is what we learned in the season seven premiere when he was talking to Lord Commander Ed Tollert and saying, like, you were at the fist of the first men, you were at hard home. So this, you know, Bran knows everything. Um, he's like a walking exposition factory. Basically, he can just tell us anything that's ever happened in the history of Westeros, including perhaps, you know, who Jon Snow's parents are. So he's going to be very important. But I think from a, I don't know, a good TV watching point of view, Bran isn't always the most compelling figure to stick with. That would be my guess. That makes sense. So what are some of the, you, you know, you're deep in, in fan theorydom and, and, and you've been thinking about this stuff for, for years. What are some of the, some of the theories about how this is all going to play out? So the main, you know, the, the, the one hint that I always like to come back to that we know from George R. R. Martin um, is that he described the ending of his books 
as bittersweet. And he compared them to the ending of Lord of the Rings, where, you know, there's a big battle. There's an elemental evil that is in Lord of the Rings that is defeated by the good guys. And then you get sort of this after story, what happens after the war. And then you get sort of uh, some sad separations that happen um, sort of as a result of the war. So, you know, that's that's the best guidance that, that we can think of. So, you know, most people think that this is going to end in some sort of ice zombie versus fire dragon fight which is a long way from the weird sort of um i don't know anti-fantasy genre politics and deception and backstabbing and double dealing that that we started the series with like this feels like you know like when you started the series you didn't necessarily think oh this is obviously going to end in a big fight between dragons and ice zombies but um that's the thought but i i really hope it's not it's not like here's the battle, the end. I hope we do get a post-battle sort of fallout. And I hope there is some sort of sacrifice that has to be made. I think some people are speculating, you know, Jon Snow dies again or Daenerys dies or one of them has to, you know, if they fall in love, maybe one of them has to live forever north of the wall in order to preserve the peace. Like, you know, Jon Snow becomes the new Night King or something. And so he has to live north of the wall and Daenerys has to go down to King's Landing to rule or something like that. You know, like some kind of painful separation. That's an exciting one. Right? That's for the, I feel like that would be kind of very poignant as, as, you know, for, for the good of the realm of men, these two characters that we've been following and sort of maybe hoping might fall in love, uh, even if it is incest, um, have to be separated forever um, to protect mankind. That, that you know that might be kind of interesting, and yeah. So that, that's those are some of my. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of like Jared Kushner <laughs> and Ivanka, and they have to live. Nor- I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so uh, so. Every show, I have to, I have to drop a Trump reference. You got to do it. Um, I get it. Okay, so do you think that they will fall in love? E- yeah, I do. You know the yes, you do. do oh, that's good. I do the you know the the books that George R. R. Martin wrote are called A Song of Ice and Fire, and so for a long time, I mean, we've got ice zombies and fire breathing dragons, but I think for a long time, people assumed that John was the uh, John Snow is the ice. And Daenerys Targaryen is the fire. And, you know, that this is a ballad mm-hmm. sort of of their epic, you know, love story eventually. And then also the this huge continent-shaking war that's going on around them uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, I would be surprised if they didn't fall in love. And so... what? In the beginning, in the in the, the very beginning of this of this story, um, in the first episode, um, it was all about the Starks and and the direwolves and and so on and so forth. Is it going to? Do you think that you know? Right now, there are so many characters that we are invested in, whether we hate them or love them or whatever. Do you think that the end will come back around where it's about the Starks again, um, and that's it? And or or and 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 and, and how do you think that you know? Are, is Arya and Sansa are they all going to to make it through this, or or is this is there some sort of curse to the family that we'll see play out? I think a lot of it depends on. It's sort of a question right now of what lessons have these Stark kids learned from their time, you know, on this show in the books or what have you, because their dad had this hardcore Ned Stark had this hardcore, you know, honor and duty uh, philosophy. 
that eventually partially got him killed. And so, you know, and then we've seen these Stark kids basically raised by these other mentors like Sansa's raised kind of by Cersei and by Littlefinger and Ramsay. Like these are the people who have taught Sansa and then Arya raised by the Hound and Jack and Hagar and all these other mentors. And so what are the lessons that they've taken away from these other figures that have helped raise them? And how will that enable them to survive in this sort of cutthroat world? I can't imagine that all of the remaining surviving Starks are going to make it. And if I had to pick one that I think is likeliest not to make it, I would say it's Sansa, even though she's become a huge fan favorite on the show. Um, mm. I, I'm trying to figure out like what role these characters can play in in the war that we feel like we know is coming. And it feels like there's... There are things that Arya can do in terms of like her shape-shifting and her on-the-ground sneaky assassin training. Like there's things that she could do in a war. And Bran with his ability to sort of warg into animals and creatures and see the future, like that that seems useful in a war. But Sansa, though she has, you know, learned a lot about the politics of court, it feels like more and more that question of like who's going to sit on the Iron Throne is less important than what's happening up north. And so I, I worry that Sansa's not vital for that. And so if we are going to have our hearts broken by the loss of a Stark, uh, it's it would probably be Sansa, would be my guess. But I don't know. Um, okay, so you actually just did the perfect segue into what my next question is, which is who do you think will sit on the Iron Throne? Um, Drum roll. <laughs> I mean, in the trailer for this season, um, the character of Davos, played by Liam Cunningham, says something about like it doesn't matter who sits on the Iron Throne. You know, like it's it'll be, it'll be a skeleton who sits on the Iron Throne because that's not the the real focus. And I I think that's kind of a neat bait and switch from the beginning where uh, who will sit on the Iron Throne was the question everyone's asking. And then it's, it'll be fascinating if that's just not at all even the question. If the Iron Throne gets destroyed somehow, like, you know, one one idea is like it gets melted by dragon fire. So, you know, something happens that the Iron Throne is just not even a question anymore. But um, if anyone does end up on the Iron Throne, I both think and hope that it's Daenerys. Um Think because it just feels like things are trending that way. Hope because I think who really deserves to sit on the Iron Throne is Tyrion Lannister. But Tyrion works best, I think, in an advisor role. And he's Daenerys's advisor. So, you know, Tyrion, uh, Daenerys with a footnote, actually Tyrion calling the shots would be my my hope for the kingdom. So what do you think that um, – some of the the fan theory stuff that you've read um, and have written and so on, what is the – is the theory that, um, that that eventually everyone, you know, all the real human beings, the, the kingdom of men, I guess you would call it, um, uh, bands together to fight the White Walkers or is it typical Game of Thrones where there's backstabbing in the middle of it and so on and so forth? Um, like I guess the que- the question is is like, do you think that we're going to end up with the Lannisters standing side by side with, you know, with the Starks and and uh, you know, the King of the North and so on fighting against uh, these these evil White Walkers, um, or or is it kind of going to be every group for themselves? 
I think what will happen is that we will see a unification. You know, it feels like Jon Snow's right. It feels like Jon Snow's right that everyone needs to band together to deal with the threat of the White Walkers. And so it feels like everyone who doesn't listen to Jon Snow will pay, might pay some kind of price, right? Jon Snow's gonna, it feels like gonna go around and try to get people to take his threat, this threat more seriously. No, really, guys, there are ice zombies coming and really, guys, we need to get it together to fight them. <laughs> um, and, you know, I could see a way in which Cersei ignores Jon, you know, because she is so throne focused, so power minded. But but I think there's a possibility that Jamie Lannister wouldn't ignore Jon, you know, and so you might see mm. a Lannister house divided. Um, but no matter what happens, I mean, I think we will. I think we I, I believe that season eight will probably be most of the players, surviving players, banding together to deal with the threat from the north. But, um, you know, I, I can definitely see a show in which there are a few people who um, decide not to, are, are not joiners, are not team players. And for there to still be some human drama, human treachery, human backstabbing in among this sort of more uh, high fantasy elemental war of good and evil. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. For years, I've opted to shave with electric clippers, not because I want to, but because buying a razor was such a pain, so expensive, and frankly kind of confusing trying to figure out which blades go with which handle and so on. But that's all changed. Now I've become a member of Harry's, a new online shaving company that is like the apple of shaving products. When you sign up for Harry's, you get this really beautiful gray cool box set that includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five of their insanely sharp five-blade razor blades, this amazing foamy leather shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Harry's razors feel so great it's almost like you're shaving with butter. I'm really not making this up. Even better than that, Harry's is going to give listeners of Inside the Hive a free box set today. All you need to do is sign up at harrys.com slash the hive. Once again, that's harrys.com slash the hive. They'll pay for the razors, the blades, and the gel. All you need to do is cover the $3 for shipping. That's a $13 value for free when you sign up today. Once again, go to harrys.com slash the hive to get your free box set. I'm telling you, once you've tried these razors, you'll never want to use an electric razor ever again. Moving on to uh, to, an, to another topic, but a similar topic. Um, do you think George R. R. Martin's kind of a little upset that his book didn't get finished before the series is going to? God, wouldn't be? wouldn't you be? Like, I can't even imagine. I know. What do you th- What do you think happened? I mean, I, I, my personal theory is that he got a little bit excited by all the attention and was out there, um, you know, going on TV and doing all these fun interviews, which I'm sure has been really exciting and fun. Uh, um, and uh, and he just didn't write. Um, but, but may, I don't know, do you have a different theory of what happened? I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, you know, it's maybe unfair for me to arm, armchair psychoanalyze George when I'm not a <laughs> psychoanalyst, but I do all <laughs> the time. I think I try to put my, my, you know, myself in the mind of George and what's going on. And I think part of it also is, is just the tremendous amount of pressure. You know, he started, yeah. Uh, five books ahead of the show and thought that he had all the time in the world to figure this out. And I think probably he did get a little distracted, which is understandable of like the shiny attention of being part of this big HBO show that was just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine that I would react any differently. But then 
I think as um, things changed, got tweaked and changed a little bit on the show, I think he was seeing sort of his loss of ownership over this narrative that he started decades ago. And then, um, you know, he's not a fast writer at the best of times, but he started giving these interviews where he's like, well, you know, my books are still relevant because I plan to change some things that, you know, that that they they can't do in the show anymore because they killed off certain characters that I still have alive. So then I think he became sort of preoccupied with this idea of um, I really need my books to be different enough from the show that um you know that they are viewed as as special in their own thing and not just you know kind of the reverse where he's adapting the adaptation of his own story or something like that and I, i think he just sort of got caught chasing his tail and he's as i think disappointed and frustrated by it as as anyone else you know his fans all the time are i don't know either angry or or whatever it is. But, you know, Martin himself has written several blog posts because, you know, he still uses live journal, which is this amazing thing. But um, about, you know, yeah, I've seen. <laughs> his, his own frustrations with himself. And like as someone who is also a procrastinator, like I'm a procrastinator. So like as someone who is a procrastinator and has trouble with deadlines, I should probably not be admitting this on an official Vanity Fair podcast. But, you know, <laughs> I, I am sim- enormously sympathetic. And I don't know what I would do if you know, these characters that I had invented suddenly became, you know, and at this point, he can't catch the show. You know, even if he dropped Winds of no, Winter tomorrow, to catch yeah, that show, yeah. even if he t- dropped Winds of Winter tomorrow, he still has another book, Dream of Spring. And that's the conclusion. In my, in my ideal fantasy world, George somehow miraculously drops both Wind of Winter and Spring, Dream of Spring Next, like this year or next year and somehow beats HBO to the punch. Not because I like have any vendetta against HBO. I would just like George to be able to finish his own story. And uh, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in terms of this kind of massive adaptation that was started in the middle of something and then outpaces it, at least not something this high profile. And uh, I just have so much uh, sympathy and um I don't know, regret on behalf of, of Martin for what's happened. It, 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 it must be really, um, it must be so fascinating for him and even for the fans um, to, you know, these books came out. How long ago did the first book come out? Was it the 90s, what, early 90s, a, a decade yeah. ago? No, early 90s. T- two yeah. decades ago. And wow. And, 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 and for, you know, I'm, I'm sure that when it first came out, there was probably just a handful of people reading it and, and. Uh, and it's this, you know, he's put so much thought into these worlds and the backstories and the side stories and the, the little the secret intricacies and, you know, so on and so forth. It must be so fascinating for him and for the fans who've been reading all along to see the transformation of, of this thing. And I'm sure there's probably it's probably very bittersweet in some respects. Yeah. Um, the fir- the first book came out in 1996. And. Uh, what's funny is that I went to I went to years. like a costume party in the early aughts. Um, I went to like a, a big, come dress as your favorite book character costume party, and a, a married couple friend of mine came dressed as Jamie and Cersei Lannister, and they were all over each other dressed as Jamie and Cersei Lannister, and no one at the party had read the books, and so no one got this like hilarious joke <laughs> that they were playing on all of us that they were there as like incest twins, um, and. You know, I, I look back on that and I'm I'm just kind of amazed that that, you know, the, and they, they're the ones who told me, they're like, oh, have you ever heard of these books? You know, and, and 
and then I checked them out after they told me that. And then I was like, oh, hilarious joke, guys. Good job. But, um, yeah, the books were, were actually very popular in, in the realm of, of sci-fi fantasy readers. Um, but just, of course, it's broken hugely beyond the boundaries of genre fans, thanks to the HBO adaptation. And so for that, of course, George should thank HBO for making his saga and his characters that he started, you know, his, his books are going to be bestsellers forever because, um, you know, these, these characters are so indelible to our experience of the past, you know, seven years. Um, but it's, it's like, it's almost the biggest tragedy of Game of Thrones to me is not like Ned Stark dying or the Red Wedding or any of that. It's like George getting eclipsed by his own adaptation and not getting the chance to write his own ending, you know, even though, you know, my my understanding is that, you know, Weiss and Benioff know the ending. And so their ending will be the same, if not, or, or very similar to what George has planned. But what they're doing right now, I believe, uh, because he did not sort of give them a, a really thorough outline, he gave them major beats. What they're doing right now is is kind of a, a very loose adaptation, uh, all ending sort of towards the same end point that George has planned. So, I don't know, it's... it's, it's so, the, so the books will be... The, the books will be different, but... Uh, um, uh, but but time will tell. I mean, it's really fascinating when you talk about the 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 number of people who are interested in the show, and you know um, this this last episode, the the premiere of season seven, got sixteen point one million viewers, um, which is um, compared to uh, uh, season six, it was it was uh, was almost ha- half that or something along those lines. And and I um, it seems that it's just it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. Um, uh um and uh how do you think what is h so you know there's there's two seasons left what does hbo look like without game of thrones um or do, do these spin-offs become the the next i mean are they going to get 16.1 million viewers on for a premiere <laughs> episode what, what what do you think it plays out for hbo well you know a couple of things are interesting to me the first thing i want to say about those ratings numbers is i'm going to be curious to see what the total ratings are okay so in season six, each episode of Game of Thrones got, I think, in the ballpark of either 26 or 27 million viewers once all the, you know, all told, once all the streaming platforms and delayed viewership and all of that came in. This number that we're seeing. That's of like, each episode? Each episode, yeah. Um, the number that we're seeing, got this it. 16 million, uh, you know, and, and the stat that's being thrown around of like a 50% increase over the premiere last season. Uh, is both true, but I will be curious to see if the overall number shifts by 50% or if it's just that a lot of people mm. are watching the show earlier because it's like same day ratings, 50% over same day ratings. If a lot of people are just watching the show earlier because they're afraid of spoilers or they really miss the show that much or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm interested to see what the final data is. I can't imagine that the overall viewership of the, sh- of the show grew 50%. That's bonkers to me, but I'm sure it, it grew a lot. And either way, this is, um, as you say, sort of a um, a a very important property for HBO. This is their tentpole show. Like all of their programming sort of hangs off of this one massive hit. Um, There are a couple, you know, optimistic things on the horizon. Uh, West, my understanding actually based just on stats on a podcast I did about Westworld is that a lot of people are catching up to season one of Westworld after it airs because we're still getting a lot of downloads for 
our season one podcast months after the finale. So I think a lot of people are watching and listening mm-hmm. to this Decoding Westworld podcast that I did after the fact. So I'll be curious to see how much the Westworld ratings will have grown in the off season. So that's one thing that HBO might be feeling optimistic about. There are these five potential spinoffs, as you mentioned, that are in the works, but you know, do we know anything about those? Like, do do we have any any clues about what those might be? We know that they're not sequels. We know that no character that's currently on the show is going to be in it. So it's not like the further adventures of Arya Stark or anything like that. It's not like you know a better call Sansa or anything like that. Um, it's they're, <laughs> called Sansa. They're, they're all like prequels. <laughs> Um, and what's really weird is none of them are the prequels that people have been expecting. Like, I think people expected either Roberts of Rebellion, which would be like the story of young Ned Stark and young Robert Baratheon and stuff like that. Or uh, there's these books, book novella series that George R. R. Martin did called Duncan Egg, which is about Sir Duncan and Aegon Tar- Targaryen. Those are prequels that people thought they're not doing either of those. They're just doing something new. We don't know what it is. We do know the um, four or five people that are pitching, but we don't know what their pitches are. So I'll be I'll be very, but, but HBO is being um, wisely cautious and taking their time with this thing. Um, I think they learned their lesson from True Detective season mm. two, where they had a hit with True Detective, and then they really just wanted to rush and get True Detective two out to like capitalize on that mo- momentum. But you know, whereas True Detective creator Nick Pizzolatto had years to work on the first season he like rushed out the second season in just a few months and it just um did not go over well with anyone so i think hbo has sort of learned their lesson casey boy's head of programming is just sort of like we're taking our time we're gonna figure out the right thing you know and speaking of better call saul or fear the walking dead which is amc's attempt to expand on their successful shows that were either ending or ended Neither of those have taken off in the way that Breaking Bad or Walk- The Walking Dead did. So, you know, there's there's no precedent for a spinoff series being as successful. You know, you'd have to go back to like Frasier from Cheers. You know, like it's rare for a spinoff series to be as successful. So so there's the spinoff option. There's also the news that came out yesterday that Weiss and Benioff um, already have a new series in the works with HBO called Confederate. There was some sort of immediate and salty backlash, social media backlash, because the the premise for this. Yeah, which I thought was a little, I mean, a little ridiculous. The backlash about that. It's like let's let's give them a shot before we yes. start judging. It's like it's like let's review the book before it's even written. It's um, certainly premature. Typical. I will agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I understand that some people yeah. are. Uh, given given some of the criticism that Game of Thrones has weathered uh, around diversity and racial yes, representation, I, I do agree. I understand yes. why that there's some yeah. some caution and hesitancy, but it was, I think, <laughs> like most things, Game of Thrones blown out of proportion. Like the same thing, I think, is true of the Ed <laughs> the Ed Sheeran cameo that was on Game of Thrones this weekend. Like it was five minutes of screen time. Like this is not the show being ruined, yeah. but I think the you know, when you've got 16 million people watching your show on the first, you know, night that it airs, there's just a, like, hysteria around this particular property. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you, you, you're deep in all of these worlds, Westworld, Game of Thrones, you name it. Um, do, have you always been kind of a super 
you know, into fan, the, you know, the fan theory level of these kinds of stories? Is this something that you've always been interested in? Mm, I wouldn't say always, but I, uh, I think the, the place where, and, and I think certainly TV series, um, when I was growing up, they were not delivering that, that kind of, like, that's not what they were angling towards, right? But there were... Uh, there were books. There were books, though, when you were growing up. And were you into? Were you into reading? You know, these kinds of books about these worlds that have these elaborate stories and kind of trying to decode what was really going on in them. Or is this something that you become more interested in as you've gotten older? Um, I guess I, <laughs> I've never thought about this before, but I think I would pin it on three different things. Number one, yes, I was really into sci-fi fantasy. Well, really, uh, moderately into sci-fi fantasy novels growing up. I think world creation is interesting. Um, I think it takes like a particular kind of genius to build a convince. You know, there is plenty of bad fantasy out there. So I think it takes a particular genius to build a, a different world that really feels convincing and immersive and all that sort of thing. So that's something I was interested in. But I was also really interested in. Um, classic detective novels like I was re- I've read everything Agatha Christie ever wrote like I was really into that and kind of wanted to be a detective at some point so um I think my dream of wanting to be a detective has gotten warped into being like some kind of tv clue detective <laughs> um and I I the third thing that I would sort of pin it on is um Lost, which I think is considered one of the first mystery box shows. I was not a professional writer at the time that Lost came out. So it really just manifested in me uh, talking to friends on the phone after an episode and doing this sort of thing with them. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, pinpoint Lost as this uh, sea change in the way in which uh, fan theory or uh, mystery box shows sort sort of came about. And I, I, that was certainly true for me. That's sort of where I got a taste of it. And then, you know, more and more TV shows are catering to that. But but it can't just be about that. You know, there are certain shows that feel to my taste a little too mystery box for mystery box sakes. Uh, you know, the best example I can think of is Mr. Robot, which to me seems so invested in pulling the rug out from under its viewers mm. that... I lost a lot of interest in the larger story it was trying to tell. So I feel like you really do need something else there for the people who are not at all interested in fan theory. Um, And even for the fan theorists themselves, because you're not invested in solving or trying to solve a mystery if you're not invested in the characters or, or what the outcome may be. So, you know, it can't just be that. Um, It has to be, it has to be something else. It's, so um, uh, we're, we're, we're getting to the end here, and I, I want to do a, a couple little things real quick. I want to I go through a series of names, and you tell me if they, if they survive or if they die <laughs> on the show. Okay. Hit me. Okay. Let's start with Jon Snow. Makes it to the series finale, at least. Makes it to the series. Uh, Daenerys. Survives all the way. Cersei. Please die, please die, please die. Dies sometimes in the final season. In the final season. Um, uh, Her brother? You know, I have this pet theory that, like, I'm really invested in the redemption of Jamie Lannister, uh, personally, for some reason. Yeah. So I hope that he has, like, a noble, self-sacrificing death that really does redeem some of the 
terrible things that he does. Maybe he dies saving Bran to like bring it full circle to him pushing Bran out the window, or he dies saving Brienne, like you know, to to go back to that which is his best relationship he ever had on the show, something like that. A noble death for Sir Jamie Lannister is what I'd like to see. I think Sir Jamie Lannister. My personally, I and, and look, I know nothing. Uh, Jon Snow. Um, I think personally that Jamie's going to kill Cersei, but you know that's maybe that's just my no, that's, my hope and my dreams that, that she's going <laughs> to. That's a very popular theory. A lot of people are rooting for that. They really want very, Jamie, like to to prove good. that he has broken out of like that toxic feedback loop once and for all. He kills her to save the realm. I don't know whatever it is, but yeah, well we'll see. But all right, the dragons. Uh, not all of them are going to make it, I would say. Not all of them, but but maybe one? One. Well, I, mean, I would put my money on Drogon, which is can, can, clearly Daenerys' favorite <laughs> to make it. Yeah. Uh, can the can the dragon make another dragon without having sex with a dragon? Is that, so, like, can there be more dragons or are we just, uh, is this the last three dragons in, in, in the world of Westeros? Um, I think... Yeah, it's a really good question. Like, and and if they can breed other dragons, like, why isn't that all Daenerys is doing? Like, encouraging them to make more dragons yeah. or scouring everywhere for more dragon eggs. You know, you would think that 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 you know, because yeah. these three dragon eggs she has were found, you know, somewhere. So why isn't why isn't she diverting a lot of her resources to try to make more dragons? Since these are her like WMDs that she has, so good question yeah why isn't she putting the dragons in a room playing some fun poor music and <laughs> and saying like hey guys i'll be back in a little bit lighting some candles go have fun putting out some oysters yeah. setting the oh. mood yeah exactly um okay uh Tyrion. i want Tyrion to make it all the way yeah yeah me too yeah i think there's a i think there's a chance uh, we already, you already think that Sansa, Sansa won't make it. So, so we've gone there. Yeah. Uh, 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 Bri- Brienne. I, oh, think- I, I want her to make it, but I'm worried that like, I, I'm worried that in order to, to really feel the impact of the Night King, we're going to lose a lot of, of our B, our B string. You know, like our second tier, a lot of those favorites are going to go. Like Tormund and Brienne and Bronn and Pod and all these people. Like, I feel like we're going to strip down a lot of our of our second stringers. So, yeah. Wait, real real quick. I forgot to ask this question earlier. Who do people think the Night King actually was or is or something? Is it some relation to someone? Yeah, there are theories in the book, but the... 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 um, the character in the book is very different from what they're doing on the show, so it's really hard to know. And in in the um, in the book, the Night King. In what way? In the book, the Night King was originally one of the Lord Commanders of the Night Watch, like an early Lord Commander of the Night Watch, who fell in love with this like weird ice maiden with blue sparkly eyes and stuff like that. So you know, he's originally a Lord Commander. Um, in the show, we saw the children of the forest create the Night King out of some guy. We don't know if that guy is related to the Stark somehow, and an early ancestor of Jon Snow or something like that is possible. But for right now, all we know is that it's some guy that they turned into the Night King. So, and um, uh, and okay, so here's my last question and the most important question of them all. Let's pretend that I'm 
I'm the showrunners of uh, Game of Thrones and uh, something happens and I get lost on a desert island and I can't make it to uh, to the to the the writer's room to, to write the last episode of Game of Thrones and, and HBO calls you and they say Joanna you got to come in and you got to write the last episode can you tell us what it is yeah wow this is great oh good question um this the last episode of Game of Thrones I, I guess I've already alluded to some of my like fantasies about this, but uh, it'll take place after, you know, so the last season, six episodes. So let's say the war is over in episode five. So episode six is what happens to this kingdom that's been ravaged by war and winter. Um, and how do we put the, how do we put the pieces of a government back together? Where are all our players going to go? Where are they most useful uh, in terms of reestablishing, you know, cause I just feel like we're going to see a devastation of Westeros and then uh, like a, you know, a rebuilding of, of Westeros. So that's what I would like to see. I would like to see Daenerys and Tyrion sort of figuring out what to do in King's Landing. Um, I, I like the idea of, of Daenerys and Jon Snow having to say sort of a tearful goodbye in order to save the realm. So Jon Snow maybe trudges off into the snowy distance of North of the Wall, um, maybe with his dire wolf <laughs> as a companion and nothing else. Um, <laughs> you know, Arya Stark, if she's still alive, is running Winterfell. And actually, one thing I want I would love to see is a bunch of like our some of the more ragtag characters of Game of Thrones being becoming the new sort of lords of Westeros. So if someone like Bronn or Tormund or whoever survives, we see them starting to pick up the pieces and rebuild the, you know, High Garden or Dorne or Iron Islands. And so we just sort of see um, this idea of history repeating itself and what does the new realm look like uh, in this sort of post it's like kind of a post-apocalyptic Westeros so that's what I would that's what I would do yeah well I I hope you are you are correct um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today this has been really fantastic and eye-opening and um, and all I'm going to do now is watch and hope that Jamie Lannister kills Cersei in a <laughs> bloody knife fight <laughs> Uh, well, thanks for having me, Nick. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you to my guest today, Joanna Robinson. If you've enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Digital Media for their production work and my editors at Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Harry's. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I'll see you next week after the next episode of Game of Thrones.